Some years ago, I met uh, Ricardo Brambilla. Ricardo was working in the colonias here in the valley, uh, ministering to families that were uh, in poverty levels and helping them to uh, succeed. And, and he was bivocational pastor. He pastored First Baptist Church on Isidro. And, and then God called him to, to Dallas to work uh, at an area called Bachman Lake. It, it's uh, an area of, of apartments and a population that, that's also in poverty and, and to help them out. And he uh, bivocationally became the pastor of Primera Iglesia Bautista Dallas, which means the first uh, Hispanic Baptist church in Dallas. And, and uh, as he was ministering there, uh, on October 24th of this year, a tornado came through the middle of Dallas and it completely destroyed the building where Primera Dallas uh, meets. And so here's a picture of the Sunday after uh, the tornado went through. And you can see in the back sort of just a few bricks left standing, but pretty much the entire building collapsed. And, and so they set up a tent and, and they had church that Sunday in a tent. And uh, they were trying to regroup during the week, during those seven days, 300 volunteers came to pick up debris and to think about what was next. And, and, and so I, as, they, as they look for their Christmas season that you and I are spending here, here's the church without a building. And, and, and thinking about what will become of their future. And Ricardo reminded the church on that Sunday that, that this was not Primera's first challenge, first struggle. He reminded them that in 1918, when, when the church was first founded, that there was a flu epidemic in Dallas, right up as they were about to start opening their doors. And that over and over again, throughout the decades, there have been challenges that the church has faced, but the church has always found the strength in God to move on and and he was telling them this was not the end of what God is doing in their church and it just caused me to think that as we think of Christmas and we think of of friends and family and we think of gifts we think of the things that we have and we think of the things that we'll receive at Christmas that that there are those like the people of Primera Iglesia Bautista Dallas who are not thinking about what they'll receive but they're thinking about what they've lost that they're thinking about what is no more and there are many this Christmas who are not going to be thinking about what kind of gift they're going to get, but they're thinking about the loved one that they lost this year. If they've lost a home or they've lost a job, if they have some kind of, of loss in their life, maybe that's you. Maybe you're someone who's experienced loss this year. Lonnie Chandler is one of our greeters in 11 o'clock service. He's loyal and faithful and, and is always there receiving people. And, and this year he, he received the unexpected news that, that he didn't have a job anymore. He, he was not retirement ready yet. And, and they told him, you, you, can't, you don't have a job here. And then a few weeks later, actually around Thanksgiving time, he was with his grandson holding him and, and he slipped and he fell and he fractured some bones and, and, and hurt some of his internal organs. And, and since the week of Thanksgiving, he's been in the hospital 
in rehab. You, you know, Christmas is going to be different for Lonnie this year. He, he's going to be thinking about the losses in his life. And, and that's a difficult thing when, when, when Christmas reminds you of what you don't have. And, and what is it that makes a difference? How is it that, that you move on past your tragedy? How is it that you move on past your loss? I believe the answer is hope. When you have hope that, that things are going to get better, then, then you can get through it. When you have hope that, that you're going to have a new beginning, that there will be a new start, that, that you can get the courage to, to get up and, and, and just press on. When, when you have the hope about your loved ones, that there is something else beyond this life, this material world, then, then you can move on with strength toward your future. Hope doesn't make things easy, but it makes things possible. Hope doesn't remove the pain, but it removes the uncertainty. Believers in Thessalonica needed this kind of hope in the first century. They, they had learned about Jesus' first coming. They had learned about the fact that he had come to save them. They had received this gospel. And they looked forward to the return of Jesus. Jesus said he would return, that he was coming back. And, and they were looking forward to that. But as they were waiting in anticipation, as they were looking and waiting, looking above, like the song said, their friends began to die. Their loved ones began to pass away. And, and they began to, to wonder, well, Jesus said he was coming back, but everybody around us seems to be passing away. And, 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 and doubt started to creep in, and, and the Apostle Paul wanted them to have hope. And so he writes to them in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18, a message of hope for them. He says, brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these Words. Thank God for his word. Amen. The believers in Thessalonica were very familiar with Jesus' first coming. They, they knew that he had come to die and, and to be their savior. They had placed their faith in him. They knew that Israel had waited for the arrival of the Messiah for hundreds of years. And they were the generation. They were the ones who were able to experience the arrival of this long-awaited Messiah. Now the apostle Paul 
wants the Thessalonians to know about Christ's second coming. See, they could look back and they could rejoice at the first coming of Jesus and all that he did for them. But, but now they could look forward with hope and anticipation at his return. This Advent season here at Calvary McAllen, we also rejoice as we look back at the birth of our Savior. We celebrate, we sing songs, we praise him, but we look with anticipation for that second coming. We're right in the middle of those two. Now let's consider three contrasts that the passage gives us about the first and the second coming. The, the first coming was about room for Jesus, but the second coming is about room for you. The first time that Jesus came to earth, he, he came to a family. Joseph and Mary were to be married, and, and the Holy Spirit chose Mary to, to conceive a child, the virgin Mary. The God of the universe who, who created everything that there is, the God who, who, who gave life to every being, became a little embryo in the womb of a woman and subjected himself to, to the normal biological development of a baby in the womb until the time would come for him to be born. That's how Jesus came. He, he came to be born from a woman, from a family. And at the end of Mary's pregnancy, she and Joseph made a trip to, to Bethlehem to comply with a census law. And, and I Imagine that neither Joseph nor Mary had any idea how close she was to delivering. They, they didn't imagine that Jesus would be born on this road trip to Bethlehem. I guess they missed the last sonogram that told them when the baby was going to be born because uh, they were unprepared. They made no lodging arrangements when they came to Bethlehem and Mary began to have contractions. She began to get ready to go in labor and Joseph was nervous and so they began to look for a place and the Bible tells us that there was no guest room available for them. There was no room in the hostel the first time that Jesus came, he came looking for room. He came looking for room in the hearts of people. And, and there were those who, who opened their hearts, who welcomed him. There, there were those who made room in their hearts for, for the teachings of Jesus. There were those who made room in their hearts for the claims of Jesus about being the Messiah and the Son of God. There were those who opened their hearts to, to the possibilities of a new kingdom that he was ushering in. They welcomed him the first coming. Just like there was no room for him at the guest house in Bethlehem, there were also those who closed the door of their hearts to Jesus. There were those who rejected him, who, who did not trust him, who did not believe who he was. But the second time that Jesus comes, he will not be looking for room. The second time that Jesus comes, he, he won't be born in a manger the second time that Jesus comes, he won't be knocking on a door asking for posada. The second time that Jesus comes, he's not going to be asking you to make room in your heart for him, 
Because the second time that he comes, he will come in glory and splendor. The second time that he comes, he will come as Lord and King and Master. The second time that he comes, it won't be a quiet, still night in a little town. It will be a loud voice that comes from heaven. The second time that he comes, it won't be a choir of angels that gives a private concert to shepherds in the margins. It will be the most incredible announcement. It will be a public proclamation and every eye will see him and every ear will hear that the king has returned. The Bible tells us the question when Jesus comes a second time is not is there room for him at the inn? The question when Jesus returns is, is there room for you with Jesus? Have you asked for lodging with Jesus in his coming kingdom? Will, will you find posada in the new order that Jesus came to establish? The old hymn, Thou didst leave thy throne, says, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. But in Bethlehem's home was there found no room for thy whole nativity. Oh, come to my heart, Lord Jesus, there is room in my heart for thee. And then there are three other stanzas, and, and we get to the fifth stanza. The, the hymn writer says, When heaven's arches shall ring, and her choirs shall sing at thy coming to victory, let thy voice call me up saying, yet there is room, there is room at my side for thee. And my heart shall rejoice, Lord Jesus, when thou comest and callest for me. Are you looking forward to that day? Are you longing for that voice that will call out your name? What's the key to finding posada in the coming kingdom? How do we secure a place with Jesus. Well, Paul gives us a hint. He says, we believe. Verse 14, it is faith that, that helps us to enter into this promise. Then he mentions those who have died in him, those who have placed their lives in him, those who have entrusted their eternities to him. So the invitation is to believe now. To, to trust him as Savior and Lord and Messiah, to place your life in his hands. The first time that Jesus came was about room for him, but the second time he comes is about room for you. The first time that Jesus came, it was about the resurrection of Christ, but the second time he comes, it will be about the resurrection of Christians. When Christ came, the first time he came to die, he was born in a manger, he, he lived a perfect life. He, he taught and loved and performed miracles. And then he died an awful death, a death on a cross. And he rose from the dead. He, he, he died on a cross to conquer sin and he rose from the grave to conquer death. The message of Easter is the resurrection of Jesus. He's not dead, he's alive. He's risen. He's victorious. He conquered sin and death for us. The first advent of Jesus was about his death and his resurrection. Now, there's been a lot of people who have been resuscitated. There's been people who've been brought back to life, some, sometimes by a miracle, sometimes by, by science, but, but they have 
died again. Jesus is the first one who's ever been resurrected to never die again. Jesus will never die again. He lives and he reigns forever and ever and ever. But he won't be the last one. He was the first one to resurrect forever, but he won't be the last one. He was the first one to cross the finish line, but he won't be the last one to cross that line. Those that have their eyes set on him, the author and the finisher of our faith will cross that finish line towards resurrection. He is our trailblazer. But right behind him are those who trusted him as King and Lord and Messiah and will experience the same kind of resurrection when he returns. When Jesus comes a second time, the dead in Christ will rise first. You know, when we have funerals, we, we are comforted by the fact that, that it, the body that we have at a funeral or the ashes that we see in an urn is just an, an empty body that, that the spirit has gone on to be in the Lord's presence. And, and that's our temporary comfort. But, but you know, that is not our, our blessed assurance. Our, our blessed assurance is that one day that dead body, those ashes will rise again. When Jesus returns the second time, it's about the resurrection of Christ's followers. Do you believe that Jesus died and rose again? Then, then you can believe that one day all those that have trusted him as Savior and Lord will rise again. When, when Jesus comes a second time, there will be some tombs that will be left empty. When Jesus comes a second time, there will be some urns that will burst with incredible resurrection energy. There will be dead bodies that will be raised and glorified that will be recognizable. But they will be glorified like Jesus' body is glorified. Just like the resurrected body of Jesus, the, the body of resurrected believers will never get sick again. The body of resurrected believers will, will never experience pain again. The body of resurrected believers will never get the diagnosis of a terminal illness again. The body of resurrected believers will never hurt again. I, I read a story this week about a man by the name of Chris Condit. He, he uh, was diagnosed when he was uh, 11 years old with Hodgkin's lymphoma. And he began to have treatment the next 11 months after his 11th birthday, undergoing treatment at the Ochsner uh, cancer center near his hometown in Louisiana. And he talks about how the holidays are diff difficult for, for people who have a diagnosis like that or who have a loved one with such a diagnosis. He talks about how he got a good prognosis and, and the treatments began to, to help him and, and, and to take shape in his young little body. But as he looked around at other kids his age and, and even younger, he, his heart was broken for them. And then he got the news right the following Christmas that he was in remission. He said it was the best Christmas ever. And he was so thankful that for the next 10 years, he started wondering what he could do to help other kids like him to help other people who struggle like him. And he and his girlfriend eventually started something called Texas 4000. And they, they rode their, their bikes from Austin to, to Anchorage, Alaska to raise funds for, for cancer 
treatment and research. And, and now, 16 years later, there's still hundreds of students who do that. What, what an incredible story. It's great when, when we can conquer a cancer diagnosis. It, it's admirable and commendable when we can fight against diseases. Anytime that there's a fight against diseases, God is behind it, whether they know it or not. Anytime that, that a scientist discovers a cure, God is behind it, whether they know it or not. Anytime somebody's healed, God is behind it. But you know, the best of the best of the best of the best research, the best of the best of the best healing that we can get here on earth is only temporary. We know that we live in a fallen world. We know that we live in a broken world. One day this body right here will wear out. One day this, this body will return to the dust, dust to dust, earth to earth, ashes to ashes. We, we rejoice at the temporary healing that we can experience here, but one day this body will end. Oh, but when Jesus comes back, oh, when Jesus returns, this body that will get old and frail, this body that will return to the grave, this body will raise up from the dead and it will hurt no more and it will get sick no more, and it will die no more. It'll be the complete redemption that Jesus promised us. Are you looking forward to that day? There are three people that are excited here. <laughs> Counting me. Are you longing and waiting with eagerness for the return of Jesus? Are we so focused? Yes. Folks, let us not be so focused on the material things and the immediate things and the immediate challenges and excitement. We've got a bigger hope. We got a bigger hope than white elephant gifts, people. We can look up at the skies. I, I like that song that plays on country radio. It's called Ain't No Grave. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. When I hear that trumpet sound, I'm gonna rise right out of the ground. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, look way down the river, what do you think I see? I see a band of angels that are coming after me. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, meet me, Jesus, meet me, meet me in the middle of the air. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. Well, meet me, mother and father, meet me down the river road. And mama, you know that I'll be there when I check in my load. Ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. Will you tell your neighbor right now, there ain't no grave that can hold my body down. It's really bad English, but it's really good theology. When Jesus came the first time, it was about the resurrection of Christ. When he comes the second time, it'll be about the resurrection of Christians. When Jesus came the first time, it was about the repentance of sinners. But when he comes the second time, it will be about the reunion of saints. The very first message that Jesus proclaimed is found in Mark 1.15. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent means a change of mind. Repent is a willingness to correct our thinking about God and about ourselves. Re repent is, is a willingness, an openness to change the way that we think so that we open up ourselves to a new way of living. Repent 
and believe the good news. See, when the kingdom of God is breaking through, the response that God expects from us is not that we try to be good. When the kingdom of God is trying to break through into our lives, into our, our sphere, the response that God expects is not that you clean up your act. When the kingdom of God is trying to break through into humanity, the response that God wants is not that you get more religious or you get morally good. The response that God wants is that you repent and believe the good news. It is that way that you enter into an entire new reality. You can be a part of this kingdom that he came to bring. That's how you make sure there is room for you with Jesus. You changed the way you think. And you release your faith to the king who can make things all possible, all things possible. There's still time to welcome his first arrival. There's still time to repent and believe. There's still time for you to change your mind about him and about yourself. There's still time to believe in Jesus as the Messiah, as the king, as the son of God. C.S. Lewis once said, now is your chance to choose the right side. God is holding back to give us that chance. It won't last forever. We must take it or leave it. The second time that Jesus comes, it will no longer be a time of repentance. It'll be a time of reunion. Repentance is open to everyone now, but reunion will be exclusive for those who repented before he came. Paul encourages the Thessalonians by, by telling them of this incredible reunion of believers with confidence, he states in verse 17, after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to receive the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. When Jesus comes a second time, there'll be a great reunion. You know, that's one of the things that people like about Christmas. We, we try to get together with family. We see cousins and uncles and aunts and, and people we haven't seen in a long time. And, and what a sweet thing it is to have a family reunion. Well, most of the time, depending on your family. But it's good to be together. But this is a, a reunion of, of the living and the dead. It is a majestic way of gathering and to be with our Lord. Now, who's included in the we? It says, we will be with the Lord forever. Who's we? Are you part of the we? Am I part of the we? The we that it's talking about here is, is those who have fallen asleep in him, the dead in Christ. That, that means those that, that while they were living, placed their trust in Jesus Christ. They placed their lives and their eternity in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's part of the we. What about those who haven't died yet? Well, he says he calls them brothers and sisters when he begins this, this passage. In other words, those that are part of the family of God, those that call God Father and call Jesus Lord. That's the we. That's the we. Are you part of the we? There's still a lot of people who are not part of the we. There are still people in the world today who have not heard the gospel in their own language. I'm grateful that uh, Freddie Science is with us today, and I'm going to ask him to come here for a moment. Freddie uh, and I have known each other for over 25 years. I was pastor in Fort Worth, and and he uh, was going to seminary in Southwestern, and uh, and and he was planting a church, uh, and and uh, and 
we had the opportunity to do a, a mentorship thing together there in, in Fort Worth. But he has spent uh, the last several years in Oaxaca, Mexico. That's a state in the southern part of Mexico. And he's been living among the Mistec people group. Uh, it's an indigenous people group there. And he's involved in translating the Bible to their language. Freddie, tell us how long you've been there, what, what part of Oaxaca you're in, and, and a little bit about your family. We've been there uh, for 10 years. Um, in the state of Oaxaca, the name of the village is Santiago Tlazoyaltepec. Um, my family there in the lobby, I believe, over oh, there in the back, there's Nora. my wife, Nora. Our, uh, <clears throat> our daughter, Emmy's back there. In, okay, she's uh, with the children. In the children's um, school. And the little boy that's climbed the walls, that's Ari, that's our little boy. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We're so glad that you're here, Freddie. So you're working among the Mistec people uh, and you're translating the Bible. Uh, tell us a little bit about this people group. Uh, uh, you, you know, who are they, how many are they, where, you know, and all that. Okay, it's the Mistecs. Uh, they speak their own language, have their own culture uh, in the mountains. Um, they're very closed, and we just thank God that God allowed us to be there. The first few people that helped us, it was very difficult, but now we have a couple that's helping us do tra uh, Bible translations, and they feel God's calling to help us so that they can have the scriptures in their own language. So like in the, in the middle of the 20th century or so when missionaries would go to indigenous people groups in Mexico and Central America, they would take Spanish Bibles mm -hmm. and they discovered that those people didn't speak Spanish and some of them didn't read. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so the expectation is that maybe they could learn Spanish so they could hear the gospel, right? But, but you have a different approach, don't you? Yes, it's, we need to learn their language and they need to learn how to read their own language. And uh, as we're learning it, we're teaching them how to read it. And uh, the purpose is that uh, they would come to the truth in their own language, the gospel in Mistec, so they would have uh, that encounter with Jesus to, uh, so they could become saved in their mother tongue. So how many books have you translated? Uh, we've done the book of Philemon, um, draft about, we're at the fifth draft, and it takes about six or seven drafts for a final, and we're currently in the book of Mark, uh, chapter one, getting into chapter two, uh, with the help of our co-translators. All right, so the, uh, they're making progress. Can you imagine a people group that doesn't have the Bible in their language, and, and we get to be a part of that when we pray and give uh, to the ministry that the science have there, and I understand that some time ago, we also were part of uh, sponsoring or helping to support a fish farm. Uh, the the Mistec people are, are, they don't use a lot of protein. It's tortillas and beans, huh? <laughs> a lot of beans. Uh, they're up in the mountains, so it's more sustenance farming. So they, they depend on what they grow. So with the fish farm, and uh, the idea is that they become uh, more independent. And we also want to eventually give them our, our truck so that they can be in, um, empowered to go out, travel among the Mistecs, spreading uh, God's word. Hey Amen. We're so thankful, Freddie, for what, the work that you're doing among the Mistecs. And, and uh, we, we, we want to pledge to pray for you and Nora and the kids as you continue uh, doing that and to continue to support you. And, uh, and, and if you want to know more about this ministry or how to pray for them, how to get on their prayer list, he'll be here or you can talk to Pastor Chad and, and he'll connect you with them. Freddie, thank you.
Thank you. And thank you for, uh, for praying for the Me Six. They are part of the we as well. Amen. We want them to be part of the we. We, we long for our Savior, but, but as we wait for him, the reason he hasn't returned yet is because there are still people who haven't heard the gospel in their heart language. 2,000 years after Jesus was born, and there are people in the world who don't have a Bible in their own language. We must pray and give and send and support until everyone has an opportunity to be part of the we. When Jesus comes back, the repentance era will expire and the reunion era will begin. You know, when we started this series, I, I told you that I named it Posada because uh, there's this Mexican tradition in some uh, places where people go on a processional and they knock on doors of, of houses to ask for, for room and, and they say, no, there's no room here. And then they eventually get to a house where, where they open the door and they let them in and there's this great fiesta, this big celebration. Well, I want you to know that when Jesus comes back, It'll be the biggest posada ever in the history of humanity. It's going to be a big celebration. And we look forward to the day when we'll be reunited with every single believer in Christ who has ever lived on earth. Whether they've died or they're still living. From all faces of the earth, from all regions of the world, we'll be together with the Lord forever. Let me just close by, by telling you three things that, that you can do in response to this message of his coming. First, entrust your eternity to Christ. Entrust your eternity to Christ. This is about faith. This is about believing the good news. Right now, as you wait for his return, tell him that you trust what he did on the cross of Calvary and his resurrection from the dead to give you eternal life. Secondly, expect his return with eagerness. Live your life looking to the skies. Any day now, any day now, that expectation will change the way you think, will change the way you live. Listen, when, when you know that Jesus is coming back, there are some things that you thought were a big deal that are not a big deal anymore. There's some things you make a big fuss about. There's some things you get all stressed out about that you realize, you know what, that's really not worth it. There's something bigger coming. And then third, encourage each other with hope. Encourage each other with hope. There, this world is a broken world and there are people hurting. This Christmas, there are people who will be thinking about their losses. And, and the Bible says, encourage one another with these words. Don't, don't give easy cliche answers, but do be there for people and encourage them. There is room for you at the great reunion of all believers, at the biggest posada ever. But you need to RSVP. You need to say yes to Jesus. Bow your heads with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your promise. We thank you for your first advent to this world and all that it means to us. That's why we sing and put up lights and, and celebrate but oh, how much greater that second coming will be. Help us to look with anticipation and to be ready. God, the first time you came, 
There were people who welcomed you with open hearts and there were people who missed their opportunity. The second time you come, there, there will be people who welcome you with anticipation and there will be those that will regret that they were not prepared. Oh God, I pray that every person in this room will be part of that welcoming committee. That every person in this room will, will be glad when they see you instead of sorrowful because of the judgment that awaits them. So prepare our hearts and help us to share the gospel with those who don't know. As you think about what God has said to you, maybe there's one thing that, that you can jot down in your notes and say, this is what God said to me today. This is my takeaway today. And then more importantly, what is it that you're going to do about it? How are you going to obey God's word today? What is the one action, the one specific thing that you can do today to respond to God's word? For some of you, it may be praying that prayer of trusting Jesus as Savior and Lord. It's to welcome him in your heart so that he will welcome you in his kingdom. And if that's what you need to do, then all you have to do is tell him that you trust him, that you receive his gift, that you believe that what he did on the cross and at the empty grave is enough for you. Pray that prayer right where you are and God will hear and work a miracle, forgive your sins, make you a child of God and give you eternal life not because of your words, not because of my words, but because of his promise and what he did on the cross. Maybe your commitment is about believer's baptism or by joining this church. Maybe God is convicting you about sharing the gospel with a neighbor or a friend or a family member this Christmas. Maybe God is calling you to give to missions or to go on missions or to pray for the science and other missionaries. Whatever God is telling you to do, you say yes to him right now. Make the commitment. And after you do, stand quietly to your feet. And as we sing, I'm gonna ask pastors and deacons to be out here at the front. And if you have a need, if you're going through loss, if you have a diagnosis that is something you're worrying about, you need healing, we wanna pray for your healing. We wanna pray for your family, for your brokenness. We wanna pray over you. Whatever God is doing in your life, we wanna be there. So you come, you come as we sing.